0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to our Monday, December 16th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. I know Christmas is just nine days away, and everyone I talk to has completed their Christmas shopping, and I am nowhere close, so I'm definitely behind the eight ball when it comes to that, but hopefully we can make sure you're not for 2020, right, because that's only another week after Christmas, so it's right around the corner, and I am here to do my best to help prepare you for Not just 2020, but years ahead as well. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today. I hope you'll call me with your investing questions. Whatever that is, money related, I am here to give you some information, some perspective, maybe just an alternative voice from friends, family, the voice inside your head. Whatever it is, I am here to help you in any way I possibly can. And if you call and make your topic known, and allow me to address it more specifically, you can shape the show to your advantage. And we do this every single weekday with philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, just like we do at KPP Financial. And this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you along the path to your own version of financial freedom. So once again, our Anytime Listener Line is open right now at 888 99 now, you probably have heard Steve will be scheduling has scheduled two consultation trips for January. It's actually one big long trip, but spanning a weekend. He'll be in Dallas January 24th on a Friday, and then in on to New York on January 28th and 29th. That's Tuesday and Wednesday of the next week. So if you want to meet with him, you want to get another perspective on your financial situation, your portfolios, Simply go over to investtalk.com and click on Portfolio View Page, fill it out, and we will get back to you and set up a time. Now, my main talking point today concerns the question, the cost of college has jumped over 25% in the last 10 years, and the cost of college education has increased a little bit higher than the average inflation rate over that time, and we're going to discuss the idea that maybe college isn't as worth it anymore, especially uh, the soft degrees. Think of communications and literature and European history. You know, does it make sense to shell out close to maybe a quarter million dollars in order to get a degree of that sort? So we're going to touch on that topic as well as a few others. You know, we're going into the last part of the year. Retirees year-end planning checklist, we're going to touch on that, what you should be thinking about going into the end of the year. Also, bad investment habits, and we're going to discuss that. And then lastly, economists got the decade all wrong, from inflation rates to growth rates, and we're going to explore why that might be. So those are the things that are on my docket for today, so I want to hear from you. Eight eight nine nine 99 chart 888 4278 I want to hear what is on your mind. Let's touch on the market today. It was a pretty solid up day. Obviously, the market's riding high on optimism around the trade war. Still not a whole lot of details out on what the trade agreement is in actuality as opposed to uh, what is per- perceived, right? Because you want to see the actual words down on paper in order to understand how this might affect global markets, economies, companies, etc. So we're still waiting on that, but I'm sure we'll see something over the coming couple of weeks out of both sides. So we're waiting on that. But a nice, solid up day. Even though we closed near the lows on the Russell, uh, it was still about a 1% up day on the NASDAQ, three quarters on the uh, three quarters of 1% on the S&P, and the Russell up about 0.4%. So pretty decent up day in the markets. 888 chart 8992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And we can talk about the trade war. We can talk about... Anything that might be on your mind, I know there's a, a lot of moving parts to the end of the year with uh, your Roth IRAs, your 401ks, just your budget going into next year. All of these things are very, very important for you to have a handle on. And some of them you can't accomplish next year, right? That you like tax loss selling, for example. That's a good example of one that, you know, you can't wait until twenty twenty to do that. You have to do that this year. So there's some planning that you have to do for your investment accounts that we can discuss. Or maybe it's individual company, uh, an industry, uh, the market as a whole. Interest rates. Interest rates are pretty interesting as well uh, today. You said gold down. You had interest rates at a couple months high. Let's see where the ten year at ten year at actually no, we aren't even at the levels from mid-November, but we are starting kind of an uptrend in interest rates, and that is money flowing out of the safety trade, bonds, and into the equity markets. Uh, And I don't think they're at levels yet to where you should be worried, but I remember last year in, in the going into the fourth quarter, you have the 10-year treasury over 100 basis points higher than it was here today. And I talk about this trend and the effects of interest rates on asset prices. And they have a very strong effect on discounted cash flow methods, uh, a lot of valuation methods that analysts and Wall Street uses to price companies and bonds, et cetera, right? And so... That was really what kind of broke the market in the fourth quarter of last year. And now with rates so much lower, with the Fed embarking on QE4, I'm not going to say it's QE4, but it absolutely is money printing. You know, They've reversed all of their quote-unquote quantitative tightening for this year. And there, there's not real much talk about it. Why? Because there's just not... Anything that the media can really pin pin the story on, right? It's the repo market, but nobody really understands the repo market. Nobody really understands why these things are breaking, right? So all of this is a problem for the media because media likes to report clear and concise stories. And this is not And if the Fed is saying it's not QE, then the media is taking it on face value. And that's worrying for me. But it's reflationary. Money printing is inflationary for asset prices. And that's kind of what you're seeing now in the market. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday, and it's broadcast streamed live in the four o'clock Pacific Time hour. Hope you tell tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. Steve, Peasley and I do our best to make it interesting and instructive for you each and every weekday. And whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, subscribe. And please take a second to rate the Stock podcast at iTunes, Spotify or Google Play. and now I'm taking your questions live at 88899.
2: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's go to Molly in Cleveland asking about healthcare. Oh, I guess she's gone. Never mind then. All right, we're going to go to Sandy in Los Angeles. How are you doing, Sandy?
0: Hi, how are you?
1: doing great thank so do you a
0: ab- um about the stock p r o w um, it has a p of 15 i kind of went in on it when it was high 125 but what do you think would be a good price point for this stock
1: okay so you're you you currently own it sounds like
0: i, I do yes
1: okay this is T. Rowe Price for everybody else that's out there. And this is one of the largest providers of investment advisory services to individual and institutional institutions worldwide, about a $29 billion market cap. And they've done a fairly good job of fighting, or not fighting, but battling against the trend of passive investing. Uh, and they've done so in a very, fairly successful manner. Earnings are up from 2012-2012. Uh, from $3.36 a share then to next year, this was to make $8.11. It's not a fast grower, modest growth there. P-Ratio is about 16, uh, yields about 2.5%. It sold off with the rest of the market late last year and into early part of this year and is back now to kind of those highs from last year, around $125 per share And it's down. It was. It was only. It was flat today in a pretty good market. It looks a little overbought. Last week's technicals uh, was a topping tail. That's kind of a a negative for me. That makes me think that this is short-term definitely overbought. Now, if this gets back down into the 113, 112 level, that's an area that looks fairly attractive for me. Uh, But what? Why do you like it? Why are you thinking about buying it?
0: more into financials, but what concerned me actually is that the insider selling, uh, their VP and a couple of their officers sold a bunch of their stock. So that's why I was worried about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's you have to always look at whether that is a one-off aspect of their trading or it's something that's consistent because a lot of times management will get paid in stock. And they consistently sell a certain amount every month or every quarter, right? And it's more systematic. And therefore, it doesn't really give you an indication of whether the, the that CEO or that executive likes the company or doesn't like the company. It's more about diversifying their asset base. So... When you see that consistently, that doesn't worry me, right? Because it it makes sense to diversify yourself out of company stock and maybe into other uh, asset classes, other names, et cetera, and give yourself a little more financial security instead of tying your income as well as your uh, retirement savings to one company or one stock. So you really need to decipher whether that is a one-time thing or something that's more systematic. Um, But... I do think it's overvalued here. I do think that it's overbought here. And it net definitely needs to come in. I mean, it has enterprise value to EBIT of 10, which is you know not super overvalued. But it's on the high end of its kind of longer term range, which is between uh, 7 and, and 12. And now it's about 10 and a half. So I would like this closer to, you know, the 9 range and that would require about a 10% pullback from here which would put you in that 110 to 112 range. That's where I'd be picking up Row price. Thanks for the call. Okay. That was TROW? Yeah, no problem. That was uh yeah, T. Rowe price like I said. 8899 888-99 chart 8992 4278 is how you get through and ask your question. Let's go to Molly again in Cleveland asking about healthcare.
0: Hi, Um, I just have a quick question about Pfizer. Um, The ticker is PFE, and I was just wondering, is it a good stock for a dividend portfolio?
1: For a dividend portfolio. Okay, so everyone knows who Pfizer is, one of the largest branded drug companies in the world. Yields about 3.7%, but the problem here is that revenues have shrunk the last two quarters. Earnings are also shrinking last quarter down 3%, and earnings start to fall 2%. Next year, So that's really the big issue here is the trajectory of earnings as well as sales are now solidly negative. Now, it's not very expensive, but if you start to see continued shrinkage in their business, then you're going to eventually see shrinkage in the overall stock. It says rallied after a big sell-off in July, and I just don't love it here. The cash dividend pay ratio is 73%, and if their business deteriorates more, then you're going to have to have, you're not gonna have any more growth so i'm not a fan of pfizer as a dividend play thanks for the call give me a call at 888-99-CHART
2: christmas will soon be here then new year's your financial freedom requires making the right decisions and 2020 will bring new challenges steve peaslee and justin klein are ready to provide unbiased guidance on invest talk or through direct engagement Keep listening and learn more anytime at investtalk.com. 888
1: chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 We have about 33 minutes left in the show, but that goes by rather quickly. So I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Let's touch on our main talking point, which is the increase in the cost of higher education. Now, during the 1978-79 school year, the cost of the median equivalent of private college was $17,680, and public college then was $8,250. By 2008 and 2009, that was just over a decade, ago it was 38,000 for private colleges and 16,000 for public colleges today that's $48,510 for private and 21,370 for public and there's a few driving factors but what's interesting is that despite the increase in cost you're not getting a corresponding rise in the relative pay for somebody who's attended college versus who hasn't. Now, still, if you have a bachelor's degree, your median weekly earnings is $1,173. If you don't, it's $712 a week if you just have a high school diploma. So in most cases, it still makes sense to attend college. But when it comes to which... Degree you get, that matters a lot. The hard science degrees, for example, engineering, computer science, biology, those areas make the cost of the rising cost of college much more worth it. Whereas if you are in something that doesn't have a direct correlation to a job or an industry? Like a history degree or a communications degree. Something like that. The cost of this of higher education these days simply does not make quite the sense. Now why is college education going up? Why is the cost of it going up? Well there's a few things that go into this higher than average inflation rate for tuition versus normal things. First off, nearly every state has shifted the responsibility of funding higher education from the state to students. 41 out of the 50 states over the last 10 years have reduced their spending on public education, which in turn increases the tuition rates, right? Because you got to make up for it somewhere, New York, Montana, California, Alaska, Wisconsin, Hawaii, Wyoming, and North Dakota and Illinois are the only states that increased their funding per student for higher education over the last 10 years. Other factors as well. One is cost of living, health care costs for employees, for the students. Retirement costs for faculty and staff, pensions, you know, it's just, it it, it takes more to entice these professors to stay on staff, to, you know, spend their career in academics versus going into the private sector, which you can make a lot more money typically. So, these schools have to keep up. Not only that, but they have to build infrastructure, new buildings, make the campus pretty. I know that firsthand. I went to Chapman University here in Orange County, and when I first started going there, the library wasn't that great. But over the five, four uh, four, four years—not five—I was only I was four years now, uh, four years there, it there were building after building being built to make it into a vibrant new campus to attract more students, and that's only continued. And in fact, that is the number one variable that caused tuition to increase, which was spending on construction. Second was increase in administrative costs. So, the next is cost of living. Simply, inflation of values of rent. Values of properties, right? Because if You want to expand the university, you have to buy land, the land costs more. If you want to house students, uh, the, the average rent equivalent goes up, so they need to charge a certain amount to attract people to live on campus, right? So, the cost of living increases have gone up as well. So, it's an interesting dynamic that we've pushed all of these kids into forcing them to go to universities that, continues to go up higher than inflation. The cost is, is going up higher than inflation, but the benefits are not. They're more bifurcated, let's say that. It's so going back to the question of is college tuition worth it? And the basic answer is depends. What are you going to do with it? You have a plan. Is it a hard science or a soft science? Is it something that you would be beneficial it would be beneficial to simply just go to work now? And you don't need to learn the specific skills at university. You can learn them on the job. And a lot of times, that is a better decision. But once again, it depends. Now, the next and best talk this report. Uber shares have fallen 33% since the May IPO. And the co-founder, one co-founder has unloaded $2.1 billion worth of shares. Steve's going to talk about that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your question live at 888-99-CHART.
2: From sunrise to sunset.
1: have a question about gold and silver.
2: From dusk till dawn. So I'm wondering what y'all think. The questions keep coming.
0: I have a question about symbol STLD.
2: From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Hello, uh, Steve Justin uh, Milani here from Bay Area. This is Curtis from Alabama. Hi, Steve. This is Gary from Massachusetts. Invest Talk listeners have one objective. Financial freedom. Your opinion on Costco. How they get there and when they get there is up to them.
0: I have started investing.
2: But Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance. I really enjoy the podcast. I think I'm finally starting to understand the
0: the language and what to look for. Thank you very much.
2: Listen live or download the podcast, investtalk.com. This is Invest Talk. Steve Feasley has added two new portfolio review trips to his schedule. Steve will be in Dallas, Texas on Friday, January 24th, and he'll return to New York City for two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, January 28th and 29th. These are no-cost and no-obligation consultations. Learn more and register now at InvestTalk.com.
0: Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm calling a question regarding real estate. I live in the state of California and have property and wanted to know to avoid going through probate. Would I guess the way to provide, avoid probate is to put the property in a living trust, or is there any other way to do that? Would you recommend... Putting rental property in a living trust along with your primary residence? I'll be listening for the answer on your show. Thank you.
1: The simple answer is yes. You should have all of your properties within a trust of some kind. Now, I'm not a trust attorney, so the specifics of everyone's situation are a little bit different, but the cost of probate can be relatively high, and especially if you are in a state where property values tend to be large. Probate is charged on a percentage basis, so... I believe it's 3%, maybe it's 5%. I forget the exact number. But let's just say you have an $800,000 home, 3%, is $25,000 of that just based on that property value, right? And that does include all the other assets that you might have. So it definitely makes sense to pay a good trust attorney to build out uh, a living trust for you or some type of a trust to protect your assets, to go to your heirs uh, upon your death. And it's just important to, to have... Your affairs in order, you know, in case something bad happens, uh, hopefully that doesn't, but you always want to be prepared. You probably won't know it, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, if you want to protect your loved ones, you certainly want to be looking out for them and finding and creating a good trust makes a lot of sense. If you need one, I have a few that are really, really great. So just reach out to me and I can refer you some good ones here in California and a their license in a few more states, so give me a call 888 99 chart 88992 4278. That's how you get through and ask your question. We have about 20 minutes left, so get your call in now. Now, we're approaching the end of the year, and whether you're a retiree today or you're probably soon to be a retiree, hopefully, and maybe the retiree just means you're 35 and retired. You know, that's, uh, that's a lot of people's goal, but bottom line is it's the end of the year and you need to do some planning. Now, if you're over the age of 70 and a half, you're going to need to take your required minimum distribution. You should, your broker should tell you what that dollar amount is. And your deadline is December 31st. So you only have a couple weeks left. And if you miss it, you don't take your RMD. You will not only owe the taxes still on that distribution, but you also owe a 50% penalty on on the amount that you should have taken, but didn't. And I also see sometimes people do it where, oh, their RMD is $7,282.33 and they just take 7,000, what, was it, what did I say, 282, where they, they, don't, they leave out the 33 cents, basically. Uh, and I always say, you should round up, okay? You should round up, and just to avoid that. Whether it's a dollar, or $5, or $10, Just round up. It makes life so much easier. And what this also allows you to do is to trim back and rebalance the parts of your portfolio that maybe are overweight, right? Certain areas of the market that have done better. I know it's hard to do that, but a lot of times it makes sense. Most of the time it makes sense to trim back your more expensive positions, increase your cash portfolio, do that distribution, and Avoid that penalty. You certainly want to do that. Now, you can still put that, you can't put that money in an IRA, but if you do have taxable income of some kind, then, or your spouse, you can actually put that money into a Roth IRA. So, that's one way that you can utilize those RMDs in a positive way. Next, tax loss harvesting or tax gain harvesting. I'll get to tax gain harvesting in a second, but if you can cut any losses that you have from your portfolio, you can offset an equivalent amount of capital gains, or if your losses exceed your gains, you can deduct up to $3,000 in ordinary income. That's on your losses. Now, there's also a thing called tax gain harvesting, and I think this is an interesting idea, especially with changes in the tax code, but it's worth considering... If you don't make a lot of money this year for whatever reason, maybe you just retired, you most of your income is derived from dividends or whatever it is, and it's under $39,375 for single filers or $78,750 for married couples, if you're under that amount in income, you're actually in a 0% tax bracket for long-term capital gains. So what you want to do is Try to take as much long-term capital gains as you can without going over those limits. And therefore, your those gains on whatever you're selling is actually zero. Okay? You certainly want to talk to a CPA. Make sure you get a second opinion. Make sure you're not missing anything. Uh, but it's something you can you should think about and managing those gains as well not just the losses especially in the year like today like, like now next charitable giving strategy and because of the tax code changes it's not as advantageous to give it for give the charity monetarily as it used to be but what you can do is you can especially if you're taking money out of an IRA through an RMD or just a normal IRA distribution, you can steer all or a portion of that money up to $100,000 to charities of your choice, one or multiple. And that actually drops your adjusted gross income. That's a strategy to consider as well. Next, healthcare deductions. Now, because of the tax changes, once again, it's not as advantageous to deduct your healthcare costs. But what you can do is maybe bunch maybe you're going to get a procedure done in early 2020 but you pay for it this year, right? You bunch all those together in one year and exceed that 10% of your income for healthcare and you can avoid some taxes in that way as well. And then lastly, develop new year cash flow strategy. This is Think about for next year, how you want to manage your portfolio, manage your finances, and a lot of times you can find better strategies by doing a little homework before you get to 2020. Maybe you can sell things earlier. Maybe you wait to sell things. It depends on your needs, but unless you're planning that out and understanding what your cash flow needs are going to be, it's going to be difficult for you to make that plan, but it's something to consider going into the next year. Now I'm Justin Klein, you listen to Invest Talk and as you make your investment choices, there's always going to be some fear and some greed that creep into your judgment process. And that's understandable. Don't feel bad about feeling those emotions. Everybody feels them. We feel them. What you need to do is understand them in context to your particular level of risk that you're taking in your portfolio, the level of risk that you're willing to take. Because often that's disconnected. You think you're invested properly, because maybe things are going well. But when things aren't going well, that's where your portfolio is really tested. And you can start the process of figuring that out by using our free online tool on investtalk.com it's called the risk risk questionnaire you can check it out quickly calibrate your risk tolerance 1 to 99 and now I'm ready to take your questions live at 99 chart
0: our invest talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs-up or thumbs-down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hey, Steve and Justin, I like your
1: show. Just have a
2: question about a company called Funko, ticker symbol F-N-K-O, Trying to
0: see if it's a good
1: time to buy it or, or what should I do with it. Thank you. Bye. Interesting. This is Funko Incorporated. I've actually never heard of this name. It's relatively small. $755 million market cap. Decent amount of debt. About, about $2.5 million, $250 million in debt. Revenues are growing about twenty-six. Percent last quarter. That's down from about a year, year and a half ago, where it's growing more in the 30 to 40% range. Earnings up 41% last quarter. But a year ago, once again, growing over a hundred percent its earnings. So the slowdown in growth means a repricing of the stock. And it has come down pretty dramatically from its fifty-two high around twenty-eight dollars a share. Now we're at fifteen dollars and eighteen cents. So it's basically been cut in half in just a short period of time. And let's see what they do. They design and manufacture and distribute licensed pop culture products. What does that even mean? I'm a little confused by that. Figurines, it looks like? Interesting. Hmm. Obviously, they're... Making things like Fortnite uh, calendars and bobbleheads, Star Wars bobbleheads, things like that. So they take popular brands and they make funky little products out of it. Spongebob, I'm just looking at their website. It's pretty interesting to see. Uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, in today's world where there's a lot of great brands that uh, have a lot of different fans. Now this is a name operating journey yield of 18%, which is very, very high. Enterprise value to EBIT is 8 I like that as well. Let's look at their long-term return on equity, return on assets. Return in equity is about 13%. Not amazing, but fairly solid. Their free cash flow was negative. I don't like that. That's a little bit of a worry uh, for me. Hmm. Even though their EBITDA, their cash flow from operations continues to go up pretty pretty nice. You know, From a valuation perspective, I don't hate it. I think it's okay. Uh, definitely much more attractive than it was just a few months ago, around 28, right? And uh, let me look at the chart here, on the daily chart. Let me see if there's anything that's telling me this downtrend is going to stop. And there's nothing yet, really. Uh, you know, it's not above the 50 day moving average, which is the lowest major moving average here. And it's rallied up a little bit to it, close to it. And it's not really giving me any major signs that this is going to turn. But I like what you're looking at. I kind of like the name. I kind of like the space that it's in uh, because there's clearly able to take advantage of a lot of great brands that are out there, even though their brand isn't fantastic. So I would keep it on my watch list. It is relatively cheap, but I would need to see some better strength from the chart, and I just am not seeing it. All I'm seeing is bearish Consolidation. Now, if we we'll keep moving, I can fit in another caller question that came in earlier at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
0: Hey, Steve, this is Kumar Sain. I listen to your program on the podcast. I have some money which I wanted to invest in the stocks, and I'm waiting for the right time to invest. So, my question to you is: Where can I keep this or this cash so that any t- the time when the time comes, I can get it and invest in the market? I'm looking for your your suggestions on that. Thank you.
1: All right. So he has some money in savings of some type and really wants to find the best place for it. To earn a little bit of yield, it sounds like, until there's a more advantageous time to invest in the markets. And I certainly understand that. Now, the best way I would go about it is to go over to bankrate.com, and there's other websites as well, but Bankrate tends to be a pretty good place to find high-yield savings accounts, okay? And you want to make sure that they are FDIC insured, uh, and a lot of times they might be money market, and there's not a whole lot of difference between the two, but you want to find a decent yield. A lot of them are gonna be online banks and many of them can be good, but there are ones that are difficult to get your money in and out and not to say that you won't be able to, it's just more laborious say that. And you want to look at the, the reviews and really understand what that process is of getting money in and out. And probably the best guidance I can give you is to Stick with the big names. Uh, you know, I know Ally and Goldman Sachs. There are a lot of larger names that have pretty good savings vehicles, online savings accounts that you may not get the highest yield, but pretty close. And they're going to be a lot easier to work with than maybe a smaller name, trying to squeeze out an extra few basis points. Probably not worth it. You want to stick with a name that's easy to use, easy to get your money in and out of. And that's where I would put my money if you're looking to park some money and make it very liquid for a time when at your choosing of when to invest in the overall market. So great call. Probably something that a lot of people are struggling with. You might make you know, Christmas bonuses are coming in. You maybe maxed out your 401k, maxed out your IRA. You have some money on the sidelines trying to figure out, do I buy real estate? Do I invest it in the market? Where do I put it? And sometimes the easiest thing is to put it in cash and earn not a lot right now, one and a half, maybe 2%. And cash is a position. Understand that. Cash is a position. It's part of your portfolio and it can lower your overall risk level as well and Give you some dry powder for opportunities. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here: to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: On the next Invest Talk, Uber shares have fallen thirty three percent since the May IPO. And one of the co-founders has unloaded $2.1 billion worth of his Uber holdings. What's going on? That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Just wanted to say I really enjoy the show. I have a question about an ETF, ITOT. Just wanted to get you guys' thoughts about it. I'm looking into it. I'm pretty interested in it. Just wanted to get you guys' thoughts about it. Thanks again. Enjoy the show.
1: All right, looking at I T O T, and this is the iShares Core S and P Total U S Stock Market ETF. Basically, you're investing in every U S. Investable public corporation. You know this takes out the very very small companies that have very low float or market cap, very low volume. But you're looking at ninety plus percent of the investable universe of U.S. stocks. Okay, so you're you're investing it with only a th- expense ratio of three basis points, which is very very low. And this is the ultimate ultimate indexing play because you're not just indexing the S&P. You're just buying everything. And if that's the type of investor you are, you just want to be a, an investor in broad equity markets and you're going to ride the ups and the downs, this is a good place to be. Now, this came back, came out in 2004. And I'll tell you, I'll explain to you the type of volatility you can expect, right? In 2008, and seven, it peaked around $35 a share. And its low was around $15 a share. So it went down over 50% during that time. Now, obviously, we had a financial crisis. Are we going to get another one? We'll see. Uh, but you know, central banks have tried to manipulate their way towards limited or zero volatility in the economy and the overall markets. And maybe they'll succeed. I doubt they will long term, but they have so far. But you get into some sort of a recession, a bear market, there's going to be a flood of money coming out of index funds because of the level of risk that these ETFs hold. All index funds, all equity index funds anyway, I guarantee the majority of those holders of those index funds don't understand the risk they're taking. So, therefore, will they be able to handle 20%, 30% downside in in the market and not panic out? I'm going to say probably not. Now, there are those small subset of people that are good long-term investors that love to see the dips because they just continue to buy more. Maybe the dollar cost average in. But that's not the majority of people. That's the minority of people. So if you're going to invest in ITOT or maybe the Vanguard Total Market Index, which is probably the larger version of this, or just any index in general, you have to be stone face when you're experiencing the levels of volatility that you're going to see in equity markets over the long term. If you can't be stone face, if... A sea of bloody red in on your screen makes you queasy, makes you nervous, makes you uneasy in any way, then you need to be honest with yourself. And it's not about saying, Oh well, I can handle it. It's about looking back and experiences. Drops like the fourth quarter of last year, maybe late twenty fifteen or even if you've been in the market long enough, hopefully, over a decade, 2007, 2009, those periods where there's increased levels of volatility, were you able to stay the course? Did it bother you? Because a lot of people can say, oh, I'll be fine. I'm dollar-cost averaging. I'm a buy-and-hold investor. That's easy to say when markets are doing well. And the trend is higher. It's not as easy to say when you're actually in it. I know, I've been through these periods. Even as a professional, it's not easy. But it's even harder for the average person. So just know that if you're gonna invest in any index fund, you need to be, you need to have ice in your veins. Hopefully you do. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. DPC returns tomorrow, and I'll be hosting again on Thursday. But please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And hopefully, you can listen, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. They thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.